Hello and welcome to Supervision Smorgasbord, a podcast full of tips, tricks, and interviews with experts to help you enjoy being a supervisor. Here's your host, Dr. Tara Sanderson. Hi everybody and welcome to Supervision Smorgasbord, a podcast about the clinical supervision strategies that will make your life as a supervisor easier and more fun. I'm your host, Dr. Tara Sanderson, a licensed psychologist and group practice owner in the wonderful state of Oregon. Thanks for joining me today. Today we're going to be doing an interview with a cool supervisor and entrepreneur that I found on a Facebook group who was advertising her Launch Your Supervision private practice course. Amy is a dedicated and passionate um, supervisor and counselor. Um, She is dedicated to helping individuals gain insight and understanding of their strengths, goals, and hope by working on personalized goals and objectives. In addition to her clinical work, she wishes to help clients by serving those other clinical mental health professionals through supervising and training. And I noticed when I first saw your Facebook group kind of notice um, just how passionate you are about supervision. So I knew I just had to have you on the show to tell us all about your course and all about your passion and the things that you find uh, help you be the best supervisor you can be. So now I start, I start my podcast always, Amy, with a question. Um, and here is yours. What is one thing you would do if you knew that it was impossible to fail at it? Mm. I know I'm, I'm bringing out the big deep ones today. <laughs> yeah. Wow. There's so many things that you could go with that one, right? Like you could go career, you could go just, you know, um, you know, I think, mm, wow. um, maybe truly go, I know some people already do this, go, almost completely like travel Ooh. like travel and work. And, um, I know there's therapists that do that and there's groups of men that do that. And I think that's fantastic. Just kind of get rid of most of my, my worldly belongings and my husband just travel and I can work on the road and we can just enjoy, you know, what life has to offer instead of waiting till we're old and can't move. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Somebody recently, I found the term, uh, the uncaged life. And I liked that term as some, you know, as thinking about that idea of like, just being able to do your work and travel and experience the world without all of the like intense trappings of all the stuff that we accumulate and all of the like feeling that you need to stay, um, so rooted in a spot, um, and I just thought it was a really cool term and that, that sounds, yeah, familiar for sure. Yeah. For sure. So that's definitely nice. Cause I don't, you know, I think we've, I get it, but I think we've got a little opposite where we spend so much of our life, right? Like a very large portion um, of our life having to work an extensive amount of hours. And, and we do, you know, return exchange for stuff, right. Mm-hmm. Um, often rather than experience and, we do that during our prime and then we finally get to retire and we're like, no, I'm tired. Yeah. I don't get to enjoy all the things I've worked all those many years to do. Yeah. You know, now I just want to sit at home. 
Yeah, it is work. My dad just retired last year or two years ago. I can't remember. But, um, you know, he talks all the time about how retirement is in order to like actually do the things that you saved all this time and money and energy for. Right. It takes so much work to go on these big vacations and do all these pieces and travel the world uh, when, yeah, you kind of just want to sit at home and watch TV and like maybe putt in the garden if you want to. <laughs> like, right. um, yeah, because you you did spend a lot of those middle years just working away. Yeah. So, so I kind of envy the, the younger people who have either figured it out somehow way early or just go, you know, what? I'm taking a few years off and I'm going to travel and then I'm going to come back, you know, so I can feel like I've had that opportunity and it didn't, you know, disappear while I was so focused on other goals. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. One of the, I think the best things I did for my career, I went to college and then took a year to work um, in, in the industry I thought I wanted to go into before I went to grad school. And so many of my friends went straight through to grad school. So by the time they were 25, they had all of these degrees under their belt, but they also had like zero experience under their belt. And although like it wasn't fun playtime all the time <laughs> doing that work in between, but just having that difference of experience of like, oh, I have seen these things. I have done these things um, made my graduate school experience so much more rich because I had things to apply it to. I had some like, oh, I had this, you know, I've, I've dealt with this thing. Um, that made it different and, and, you know, blowing that out even further and imagining what it would be if I had taken time to travel and then do that. Like, oh, how rich would some of those other experiences have been? So much. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Well, let's get chatting to the things that everybody's here to listen about. Um, tell me a little bit about how it came about for you to start your course on launching a supervision practice. Oh, so, you know, I'm in a couple of different like membership groups where, you know, I learn about, you know, how to be a, an entrepreneur and, you know, to grow my own private practice and many, many other goals that I have <laughs> that I have to kind of sort and organize. Um, and kind of on the side, I've just started to do more external supervision in terms of, you know, I've been a clinical director and you know, I've been in supervisory roles in your more traditional settings, right, in an agency or, or place like that. And I've just found myself over the last couple of years doing more and more, you know, su individual supervision for people outside of their workplaces, right? So, um, and through that experience, it's been very positive. I've always kind of enjoyed that supervisory piece where it can be that growing, learning, developing kind of process. Um, I don't like so much having to be the authoritarian piece, right? Like you need to clock in on time. I don't like that piece. I want to be able to help people grow. Um, not that you can't do both, but that's not my favorite part. And so, you know, and I had, um, I've had some fantastic supervisees, but, you know, earlier, late last year and early this year, I had a couple that were, had a private practice, which was a very, very bad experience for them. Mm. And um, it was a big learning experience for me as well. And through that, in addition to like my supervision group that I run on Facebook and other groups that I am in, I see lots of people really interested in supervision. Mm -hmm. I've come across almost every supervisee I've had has had 
bad pre-supervision. Mm. And, and also to the point that some of them have had to restart their hours over because that supervisor won't submit their hours to the board. Oh, no. And, and so I'm like, wow, why is this happening, right? Like, where are we falling in this field where there's lots of quality people out there that aren't just pro- that just aren't providing it or they don't know how to start. And I see a lot of people asking those questions in group and, you know, I do my best to try to answer them. Um, and so finally I was like, you know, I have all these people asking the same questions, right? Like kind of like you and I were talking about a little bit earlier was I see all this. How can I help, I guess, in a broader way? And uh, coaching, I think, for supervisors is one of my next steps as well. But um, but I was I was doing kind of a hot seat coaching session on my membership groups and trying to like figure out like what what is my next step like what do I want to do and that came out of that coaching conversation and because um, I was talking about the group that I have and it's for supervisees and supervisors you know interns and it so that kind of where that conversation led to some thoughts and ideas of some workshops I kind of would want to put together. Um, and so then I did. And I was kind of like, what are all the things I see people asking um, that I can offer? And, you know, a lot of those questions are, how do I pick the right supervisees? Um, what do I talk about in supervision? Mm-hmm. What do I charge? What are my liabilities and risks? That one a lot of people sometimes aren't asking, but should. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, so some of those main questions of like, I don't even know where to begin with that. How do I market myself? Um, you know, I see lots of people going, I've, I've been out there and I've asked, but I'm not getting a lot of feedback or I'm not getting a lot of supervisees, but I want to do this. Um, and so I I guess I've been kind of fairly successful in having run several groups at a time and having individuals all very full um, of being able to connect with people and build supervising groups. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of where the yeah. concept for my workshop came <laughs> I love it. And I love some of the concepts that you're talking about, because I do think that those are such common questions. How do I get myself out there as a supervisor? Um, What is your top tip for that? Uh, I think connection. Yeah. You know, I spend a a fair amount of time. I don't want to say I do talk about that a little bit in the workshop, because that's a question somebody asks, right? In my live workshop, that's I did a live version of the workshop, and that is part of when you buy the workshop, you get that copy. Nice. Um, so in addition to all the worksheets and all of those things. So um, I spend, it doesn't seem like a lot of time, but it, it makes a big difference. Um, you know, I, I've joined all the ones I can find right in Ohio, all my local therapist, social worker, supervisor groups that's local to Ohio. And I try to engage in them and like with intention, right? Like not, I'm hoping that this person becomes a supervisee of mine, not with that intent, but my intention of connection. Mm -hmm. And so I see lots of people answering questions and I just answer them or help give them feedback or direction. Hey, look here or reach out to this person at the board. This is someone I have a great, you know, conversation with and they're someone who's going to respond to you. Um, And it may not be supervision related, right? Just maybe, resource related or support um and so then you know it's nice because then i do have people randomly reach out like hey do you mind having a conversation with me and i do a lot of that stuff for free on my own time and i don't ask for anything in return other than 
I know it would be helpful if I had that when I was in their position, right? Yes. And because we didn't have Facebook and that kind of stuff quite like that when I was earlier in the field. And then that, I think then when I do post, hey, I have openings in my group or whatever those are, people then go, I know her, yeah. right? She's helpful. She has answers. She's, she's engaged. And so that's really helpful when... I'm looking to fill groups, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or looking to take on supervisees because people know me, right? So that like share no, right? Like yeah. like share trust factor. Yeah. Um, I'm not just some random person they've never engaged with or seen showing up and saying, hey, I'll be a great supervisor for you. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're building that name brand recognition. You're build, You're being a resource to the community. So people learn to trust that. And then, yeah. yeah. And then when you have openings and availability, then people want in, they want to be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. What would you say to folks who are scared to answer questions on Facebook or whatever, because they're afraid they'll be wrong or they'll feel like they're, you know, a little impostery in that space? I feel like that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think um, with being a supervisor, we have to be vulnerable, right? And I mean, that's as a therapist, we kind of do too, even if we aren't sharing personal stuff, right? Um, we have to be willing to take a risk to help somebody else. Um, and so I, I know there's sometimes I post, I'm like, hey, this has been my experience. But I would also ask other people, right? Like, so sometimes I'm putting out there, that, like, here's my thoughts. But yeah. that doesn't mean, like you were saying earlier, too, like, I'm not the only one who has an answer. Now, I will say there's a few things I have debated with people on because I've had very specific conversations about those things with, like, the director of the board. Right. And so I never want anyone to be unintentionally directed in a, in a wrong way. Um but with my supervisees all the time, or even on Facebook groups, it's not, I'm not the only person who knows the answer, right? right? But sometimes people go, okay, well, someone gave me one answer, but if five people gave me an answer, maybe I feel more validated in my experience, or I feel like this is the best direction. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're just, even if you go, I've read all these comments, and they all say the same thing, that's okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm it's just reinforcing that like what that person's asking or what that person's going through is validating and you can be a part of that validation. Yeah. You know, and I don't know all the answers and I never will. Right. Um, and so that just comes from experience, mm-hmm. you know, and there's still times I, I have a business partner from the group practice I run and there's times where I'm like, am I, am I like, you know, am I off with how I think about this? Like, you know, sometimes <laughs> I do that. I do, and I know a lot of people are terrified of the board, and I, I get it, right? But I have a good relationship with the board, maybe annoyingly so, because I'm always emailing them like, hey, I came across this scenario, and I don't know if how I'm thinking is right, mm-hmm. or I can't find it very clearly in the code of ethics or the laws and regulations. Yeah. How, would, how should I interpret that? And I, I mean, I've had phone calls and video calls with the board. And so a lot of people are terrified to reach out, but they can be super helpful in learning and understanding. And then that way, when I'm supervising people, I then do feel more comfortable providing feedback and insight 
because I feel comfortable and safe talking to the board about this thing. You know, and so a lot of it, it's fear, but like, where does that fear come from? Absolutely. Well, and I, I love that as a, as a tip as well of, of knowing your own stuff. Like, what are you afraid of in that? Address those pieces for yourself mm-hmm. because the board really is there to protect the public. That's like its whole job. Yeah. And if you are asking questions because you too want to protect the public, interestingly enough, the board wants to answer those. Like yeah. they want to be a part of that process. <laughs> they care mm-hmm. about it. So they do want to like dig in with you and, and wrestle with some of those topics because in addition to giving you the answer, it's educating them on things that aren't clear so that they can make it more clear. And then they don't have to answer those questions in the future. <laughs> it's nothing but cycling out from your in your question into making change. And I mean, if, if we think about our role as therapists, one of our biggest roles is to figure out ways to help make change on a lot of different levels, whether it's one person or societally or all sorts yeah. of different ways. So the board is an, is an awesome place to build connection and feel comfortable so that you can know that you're doing the right thing. You're decreasing your own anxiety in that process. And then of course, as supervisors, we're passing that on. Yeah, that's super valuable, super valuable. I feel the same way about some of the local lawyers who are um, really advocates in mental health. We've got a couple out here who have um, really kind of honed their entire practices to be how can we support mental health providers because it is such a vital industry and it's so fraught with a lot of fear and you know intensity. One of our local lawyers does a, a talk every year on ethics for our um, Oregon Psychological Association and our counseling associations. And um, every once in a while, I'll, as I'm running through something with people in Oregon about how to set things up or what to do with them, um, I'll say something about Paul Cooney. And every once in a while, I'll have somebody be like, who's that? And I'll be like, oh, well, let me introduce you to the person who absolutely cares about Oregon mental health probably more than any of us do. Like he is so dedicated. Um, And, you know, I I quote a lot of his things of like, from this perspective, this is why we need to do it this way. This is what's going to protect your practice. This is what's going to protect your supervisees. Um, This is what's going to protect our clients in this way. Um, Because at the end of the day, if we can't continue to do what we want, what we're doing in our, in our jobs and in our roles, then mental health doesn't get served and and our people don't get the care that they need. So we kind of have to, you know, pull those things together and having that, having that piece of connection with the board, connection with a lawyer who's really looking out for the industry in that way does give you a sense of like, um, of confidence, I guess is the right word. Um, and not like cockiness of I can do anything I want and I know it all, but confidence in like, not only do I feel good about how I'm doing this, I have resources to go ask if I'm not sure. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. What are some other questions that folks ask you that you think are important for us to kind of touch on today? I think a lot of people are really overwhelmed by a couple things. One, what do I talk about? Yeah. How do I fill that time? Right. You know, cause, and I see people do it different ways. Some people do them in one hour blocks. Some people do two hour chunks. Um, you know, I don't know. There's one go to answer for that. Um, I definitely, in my workshop, I provide like a whole list of 
um, topics that people can utilize, nice. you know, so obviously some key ones are ethics, cultural competency, um, some of that, those types of things, which should be pretty routine. Um, I know for myself, I have case scenarios that I do. I have client, uh, you know, clinicians bringing case consultations, mm-hmm. you know, anything there. They need some feedback on or some supervision of, um, you know, I spend, I try to do professional development. Like, mm-hmm. how are how you engage with the people around you? How are you building communication and, and networking and relationships in the field? With my business, my group practice, we're doing monthly networking events. Nice. You know, and it's, again, like, we're not communicating with other people. And I always see people out there like, how, where do I refer this to? Well, we need to make connections, right? Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of those things that, you know, we don't talk about. We t- need to talk about treatment planning and assessing and, you know, some of those core pieces that we're all probably doing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but we, we talk about laws and ethics, um, you know, not just from, hey, here's what it says, but how, how do we apply that um, in our day to day? What does that look like? Um, so I think those are some of the, the big topics. Um, obviously there's a whole, you know, slew of them. I also have in there, I, you know, include just a copy of like the core competencies because it depends, right? Although they're somewhat vaguely the same, you know, each professional, um, governing body has their own core competencies, right? Yep. And so with social workers, you know, I have my nine and we kind of address those, like, how are we following this in supervision? And I do a lot of that. I also work with student interns. (laughs) So I do a lot of work with student interns. I I contract with a local university to be their liaison, you know, assist them through their super, their um, internship process, Mm -hmm. you know, on behalf of school and kind of their go-to person to make sure they're doing all the things they need to. And if they have any issues, I'm their like middle person. Right. And so, you know, but, we have to focus on the core competency. Are you getting everything you need out of internship? That doesn't stop at internship. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. those core things need to be continued to develop throughout your whole career. Um, and so, you know, really going back to what your core competencies are is really important as well. Like, am I doing these things? Um, so like I definitely will pull out the code of ethics in supervision and, you know, have those conversations. Um but I think a lot of people also get, I think almost back to your initial questions about how to engage when you're not sure or you don't feel confident. And it's, if someone brings something to you, how do you feel about if you need to report something, yeah. right? Or you need to have that clinician report something, right? So I think those are conversations too that a lot of people really struggle with. I'm going to be a supervisor how do I know when, or how do I navigate those types of things? Um, you know, I think that's where we as supervisors could do a better job of having our own, and, and there's places out there to do this, um, our own consult groups mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or other individuals in the field that we can consult. Like, again, because I have a really close relationship with the board, I'm comfortable reaching out to them and saying, hey, it, and that's if I don't know. Right. Some things I think are very clear. This is absolutely something I have to report or that you as a supervisee have to report. How do I support you in reporting that? Right. Right. Because um, maybe they don't know how and how do I walk them through that process or help them appropriately document that in that process? You know, um, but, you know, again, having that good relationship with the board, if there's things that are 
you know, like, ah, that's iffy. Like, I could go really either way. Again, I feel really confident with my reaching out to the board and saying, hey, I have this situation. What, how do you recommend I handle that? Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think those are two big things is what do I talk about? How do I feel space? And how might I handle when I actually have to do the hard part of the job? So, so I think those are the two big ones that people struggle those with. Those are excellent. And I applaud every single person who's asked you those questions because I do think that we we get scared a lot of like, mm-hmm. well, I should know what to do. I mean, I took the course in supervision. Shouldn't I know what to do in this, this space? And, and to be able to ask that question of like, okay, my supervisee came in and said that they don't have anything to talk about today. What do I do? Because they didn't cover that in the training that I took. Um right. And I, I love that you have just an entire list in your course of like, well, if if you need it, here's this prompt list. Start with one thing and just keep moving through it. Because I do think that that helps people feel like, okay, there's always something to be talking about. And I think that is, is true as well when we get into we're already supervisors and we go into our own consult groups. When I sit in a consult group and, some, and everybody's like, nah, everything's going okay, we don't have anything to really talk about today. I immediately think back to like, well, what do I talk about with my my students in? And I'm just going to bring in one of those topics because yeah. I do think that we're, we're we we probably shouldn't ever be at a place where we're just like, yeah, everything's cool, everything's fine, because there's always places we need to like sharpen or ask questions or debate or get into, especially when it comes to ethics, because everything is so gray in that area, right? Especially when it comes to reporting issues, especially when it comes to like, uh, especially with supervisees, when it comes to whether or not this person is going to be competent to practice. Like that's an, that is a conversation I want to have a lot, not just, you know, when I have a, a supervisee who's, um, who's really kind of off the deep end somewhere, right? But with my, with my other ones of like, what are the standards of, of care that we need to be looking at? What are those elements that they are supposed to be meeting and are they? And, and do we know what they are? I love the idea of bringing in those core competencies to help us remember that we're not just producing people who can diagnose. We're not just producing people who can write a good note. We are really wanting to make sure that all of these other areas are met. So yeah, we're gatekeepers as supervisors to the field, whether that's an intern or someone who's provisionally licensed, like we are gatekeepers to say, are you allowed to practice independently? Are you allowed to even be in this field? I don't want to say allowed, that's not the right word. Are you appropriate, right, to be in the field? Because we are helping people in very vulnerable positions and we have high risk if we make mistakes right like so so yeah absolutely um you know but i think kind of going on that like what do we talk about as supervisors you know i always try to have some list of things ready you know but i think that we also have to put some preface on like when i do supervision i have contracts right and i do that for a couple different reasons um one, it's protection for me and the supervisee, right? Like it's for both of us, but there's also an opportunity to set initial expectations right away of what supervision is and what it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I also expect, and, and some of them do better than others, um, they're also responsible for their supervision, right? So they can't just expect that I'm leading. Mm-hmm. They will participate in saying, hey, I have these things going on. I have these questions. I don't feel like I'm getting... XYZ. Um, 
because that's their responsibility too to make sure that they feel prepared for the field right yep and so and i do not in addition to my workshop my original stuff i made this around this time last year and launched it was i have um supervision guides meant for supervised seats nice and and i have one for counselors one for social workers and one for marriage and family therapists Mm -hmm. and i incorporate those core competencies of each of them into them and there's worksheets hey we're going to talk about ethics here's questions you should be asking yeah here's supervision logs and there's guides and how do you get what you need out of supervision and take some some ownership of that um, to make sure you are being a little more assertive in what you're getting because a lot of people are in agencies where the supervisors maybe aren't super invested in that kind of supervision Mm -hmm. Um, how are you taking responsibility to make sure you're prepared for yourself when maybe sometimes your supervisor that's not their priority yep right um and so so there's things like that there's evaluations in there that you can evaluate your progress and do those types of things because i think that's just as important that of supervisee is taking responsibility for their their supervision as well yeah and one of the ways that i think i talk about that with my supervisees is remembering that once you're done with the required supervision from your board you are then responsible to keep monitoring yourself over the rest of your career. There's nobody looking over your shoulder. I mean, the board requires these things. You report on different CEUs that you take. But other than the like small guidance that they give you of this many cultural competency ones or suicide awareness or whatever kinds of things, like you get to decide where you're growing. And as much fun as it is to decide that you're going to learn about all these different intervention styles over the rest of your career, you probably need to make sure you're spending some time on those really tough questions that nobody likes to like actually spend time in, but that are good for you because that's what helps protect our clients from a lot of weird stuff that people choose to do. And I, I think that that part is really a valid um, way for us as supervisors to demonstrate that by having this, this kit of paper that says, here are your core competencies. These are things you're going to grow in your whole life. And then like going from there, like as you're looking at the next 40 years of being a therapist, like start weaving in what CEUs are going to help you continue to grow in these core competencies. Or is it going to be a consultation group helps you with this one? Or, you know, having somebody do more intensive supervision over a certain area, even after you're licensed, because that's not unheard of, (laughs) like for everybody who's listening. It's not unheard of to continue to have supervision and continue to go to consultation and grow as a therapist because that's required of us. And it's really just best practice for our clients. And so developing that plan with them and helping them recognize and see that just um, just sends the message of this is a continual learning process to be a good therapist. And especially if they decide they also want to supervise at some point, we're just spreading that down the line of this is what's important and valuable. Absolutely. Yeah, that is awesome. Well, we are going to pull together some wrap up here in just a moment. And I wonder if you'd like to give us some uh, info on how people can find your course, find these packets, get connected with you. Yeah. So my main website is motivated wellness solutions, LLC.com. So on there you can find, um, you know, I think I have five looking, thinking off the top of my head because I have multiple websites I manage to mine. mine <laughs> um, you know, I think it's under, it might be under workshop or services. There is, you know, some options there where, you know, if you're in Ohio, because that's where I'm licensed, 
and you want supervision, uh, you can find out more about what, what does that look like with me directly. But then there's also where you can find my workshops and my guides. Um, and those will take you to the link at which you can learn more. There's some information on the website, but then you can learn more from where you would actually purchase it directly. Um, you know, all my social medias are the same as far as motivated wellness solutions. Um, so you can find, but you can find all the links on my website as far as how to find me on different platforms. Um, I also, um, I think on my website, but also you can find the link mostly in my, my Instagram. Um, if you want to join my supervision group in terms of it's for supervisors, supervisees, interns. Um, so people who are looking to get a supervisor, regardless of state um, or supervisees. So you are more than welcome to market in there on, hey, I have a group anyone from this or want to learn more about what that state looks like to get licensed then or you're looking for internships you can find that link in my instagram um so that that's also a great place for you to connect and build relationships with other people in your state and uh yeah so those are kind of two three places if you will uh that you can find more about my workshop and my guides i do I'm in the process of starting my outline for my next thing, which would be, uh, I haven't figured out how I want to verb it or term it yet, but it will be almost like a curriculum for supervisors. Awesome. So it would be, hey, we're going to talk about ethics. Here's some case scenarios. Here's some, you know, all mm-hmm. the things that I can talk about. Here's the questions that I would ask. Here's um, those types of things, but kind of having... Um, an expanded example of each topic, like how I would present it, which was the information, here's the worksheets I would hand out or whatever that would do. So I've done curriculums like that for groups. So I'm kind of just transitioning that skill over to for supervisors. That's amazing. I have something similar-ish. Mine is um, a a weekly uh, ethics prompt that goes out to supervisors of something that they can use in their supervision or in their didactic or other kinds of things. But I love the idea of of how you're planning on expanding that for yourself of of like what you might do or here are the worksheets you might go through or here are these types of things. I feel like um, one of the things that I love about our industry is like the the only competition I feel like we really have is time, money, and resources. I don't feel like most of us are really competing with each other for clients or for supervisors yeah. or for any of those things. There's plenty of people. <laughs> it's yeah. really, to me, it's more about like, how do people learn? What, what avenue do they want to go down? For some people, mine might be too minimal. They may want more of your expanded view. For some people, that expanded view might freak them out or they're like, oh, this is too much work. I don't want that. I just want somebody to give me a question to ask. Um, And I don't I don't think that there needs to be a lot of like intensity feeling around competition in in this arena. I think it's more about how do we make sure that the information is available to as many people as possible so that everybody is asking the right questions in the way that's going to help people be their best supervisor. So I think that's really awesome. Um, great. I, I can't wait for people to find you. Um, the three big takeaways that I got today, the first one is all about connection. It's about connecting with your community. It's connecting with other supervisors. It's making that name brand recognition, that thing that people can trust in order to build your practice um, for supervisees, for building groups, for doing all those pieces, but also as a uh, model for your supervisees of how they gain resources, gain access, 
how you connect to the board or to lawyers in your area, like all of those pieces. Connection is kind of key, right? Um, and then the second big takeaway really is all about making sure that we are following through on continuing to address our own stuff, um, to learn more, to check ourselves on our core competencies and our ethics um, as we are continuing to develop our, our supervisees, um, our students, all of those folks. And then I love the, I, I love when you talked about your contract and how you're really setting the expectation. I know we didn't spend a ton of time on that, but I really would put that as my third big takeaway is making sure that you've got a contract in place that sets really good expectations, what they can expect from you, what you bring to the table, and also what they are expected to bring to the table. Because this is a, this is a relationship that we are building for their benefit as they are going to launch into the wild world of therapy and having set those expectations early on and that you can go back to is a real important value to the process of developing as a supervisee. Is there anything else that you feel like, you know, was a big takeaway for you or something that you'd want to like highlight before we go? Um, no, I mean, I think that you summed those up very well. Um, in terms of the core pieces of what we talked about. But I mean, again, you know, I cover this a little bit more in my workshop, but kind of back to the contract is, you know, it is a little bit more about why it's important, not just for the things that you highlighted, but in there, it's the expectations that I include in mine are not, they should be bringing stuff to the table, but the expectation of how I'm providing them for you know, so they're supposed to provide me with supervision logs to sign off, right? Documentation of the proof of what we worked on. My expectation to provide that back to them and to submit their hours to the board, mm. right? So I've had so many clinicians that I've supervised. Like I said earlier, the board didn't, uh, their previous supervisors were like, oh, well, I didn't know I was providing clinic training supervision, uh. right? Well, I wouldn't, I'm not going to give it to the board. They can't track them down or they didn't have proof of their supervision. And so, that is part of the key purpose of my contract is that I'm saying something, I always say if something morbid happens to me, right? At the end of the day, you have your hours to submit for you have my contract saying, I approved to do these hours yeah. for you, you know? And so that's one of those things that like, I just think it's really, really important to have yeah. because that's, we're taking on that, that role and that responsibility for their livelihood. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a big responsibility. I really appreciate that expanded view of your part of the contract, because I do think that sometimes uh, sometimes people have experienced that somebody took that more more casually than you are. Um, and and especially the part of like, if something happens to me, I want your hours to still count for you. I want you to have everything that you need to do that. Um, I, I don't know if you know, know Roy Huggins from Person Centered Tech, um, but he passed away last year. And um, one of one of the big components um, that we, I think we all learned from from him, from his passing was that something could happen to you at any time. And you do need to have plans in place to make sure that your people are cared for. And when you sign on to be somebody's supervisor, they're part of your people. And now you, you need to make sure that everything is taken care of for them. So in your contract saying, you know, yes, we're going to take care of your hours. Yes, we're going to do these things. And and I am I am responsible to make sure you have everything you need should anything happen to me for the hours that I have kind of signed off on is 
is huge and really touches my heart of like, yes, people are thinking about hard things, even if they're not fun to think about sometimes. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I am going to put all of your information uh, in the bottom of our show notes and hope that people do follow up um, and connect with you. And it has been awesome having you as our guest today. Thank you so much for having me on. It was great. I loved it. Well, wasn't that something? Today's interview with Amy just really gave me a lot to think about. So I've got three big takeaways for you today. Number one, plan your CEUs. Take a look at your board requirements, check out what is on there that you need to do and make a plan for for how to accomplish those. But keeping Amy's comment in mind of like looking forward into the future of like, what is going to come down the pike and how can I get trained for that now? I think telehealth was a really important one that there were some people who were doing telehealth regularly, but then when COVID hit, bam, we all needed that. So thinking of thinking about that and moving forward, what are some things that are coming down the line? One of the things that came out of person-centered tech um, just recently was, um, keeping up on some of the No Surprises Act and some of those things. And one of the the episodes that they did in their office hours was really talking about thinking in the future of what it's going to be like when maybe our therapist notes are more like doctor's notes and, and we might have to give them out after session in the same way that doctors do. And what would it what would our world be like that way? So maybe taking more training right now on documentation to make sure that you know how to do that accurately, quickly, and effectively for for clients could be one of the things that's coming down the pike in the future that you might want to be prepared for and uh, could, could meet the guidelines for your CEUs. In the show notes on the webpage, I also give you some links to a couple of great CEU opportunities as a supervisor. One of them is the telehealth supervision series excuse me, the Telemental Health Supervision Series. Uh, They do free quarterly trainings for supervisors, which are awesome. And they also have access to a bunch of other trainings on there, anywhere sometimes from $25 to $50, or if you want a whole series, sometimes it's up to 150. But there's some really great um, opportunities there to enhance your supervision skills. And then Person Center Tech has some supervision series that are available to you as well they're done by me. So if you like hearing my voice, maybe you'll like seeing my face too when you watch that series. Anyway, I hope you guys can check some of those out. The second takeaway tip is to get yourself out there as a supervisor. Um, What can you do to enhance your um, marketing or enhance your um, getting out there as a supervisor? The top takeaways for that were to join a clinical oriented Facebook group, Um, and answer whatever questions you have, making sure that you are giving back in some way on those things, getting connected with folks who um, are looking for resources and see if you can be a resource to them. Get connected with your local clinical associations. Ask a colleague out to a coffee date or a Zoom coffee date um, and see what they need and how you can be a resource to them. And get to know your licensing board. Amy was really, really big on being clear that like your licensing board is here to help us and to to get to know them and to have them get to know you and be really connected with them. I think those are all great tips to get out there as a supervisor. And it is really important that as you want to grow a supervisory part of your practice, one of the things you're going to need is to get that name brand recognition out there and to be somebody who is clearly a support to the community. 
Lastly, the tip is to make a list of what folks can talk about in supervision. Uh, Amy and I chatted about how sometimes people come into supervision with like, I don't know, everything's going fine. Um, your tip today, takeaway, is to sit down for just a few moments and jot down some things that you wish you had known or you had taken the time to talk about in your own supervision. Make it a priority today to have that list handy next time a supervisee says, how's everything going? Or you say to a supervisee, how's everything going? And they're like, it's going great. I'm not sure what to talk about today. You can pull out that handy little list and say, you know what I wish someone would have told me when I was in supervisee, dot, dot, dot. And you can just share with them some of those tidbits. Well, I hope that you had an amazing time listening to our episode today. If you're interested in being on the show as a guest, or if you have questions that you'd like answered, feel free to drop me a line on my website. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great one. This has been Supervision Smorgasbord with Dr. Tara Sanderson. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find us at drterrasanderson.com backslash podcast and on all social media at Dr. Tara Sanderson. Thank you and we will see you next time.